Section 9 of Louis Pasteur by Albert Keim and Louis Lumet, translated by Frederick Tabor Cooper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 6. The Curative Poison. Innovators, whether in the arts or the sciences, are combated at the outset. Pasteur was not destined to escape the general rule which demands that all truth shall be forced upon us. In spite of the evidence which he had obtained in support of his theories, from long and difficult experiments with fermentations, a group of scientists, and they by no means the lesser lights, refused to accept his conclusions. He had to face a controversy with Trécoul, who maintained that microscopic organisms could transform themselves one into another, and he must needs demonstrate that, contrary to this opinion, they remain fixed with a specific character. In the course of the study necessitated by this discussion, he made experiments on anaerobic, without air, and aerobic, with air, forms of life, and he discovered that a certain number of these organisms could pass from one mode of life to the other with an accompanying change in form and function. But these studies of fermentations, through which he was destined to refute Claude Bernard, Berthelot, etc., studies which he pursued with unflagging energy and which were shedding light upon phenomena that had remained obscure until he had given the key to their interpretation, did not prevent him from pondering over the role played by microbes in infectious diseases, or from beginning experiments concerning them. Pasteur had been elected to full membership of the Academy of Medicine in 1873, and it was thenceforward there that he waged his battles against prejudice, hostility, and unfairness, in order to achieve the triumph of ideas which brought with them the most complete revolution that had ever taken place in medicine. Along the curve of an inspired path, and with no break in the continuity, he had passed from crystals to fermentations, and from fermentations to diseases of microbic origin. But these divisions were still in a measure inexact, for within his vast brain there was forever working all his projects for experimentation, all his ideas centered upon germs. Accordingly, he was able to say before the Academy of Medicine in 1873, Is it not evident that all the researches to which I have devoted myself for seventeen years, regardless of the efforts they have cost me, are the products of the same ideas, the same principles, forced by incessant toil to yield constantly new results? The best proof that an investigator is on the road to truth is the uninterrupted fertility of his labors. For years Pasteur was forced to fight his battles in the very midst of the Academy of Medicine, and he did so with a vigorous and dogged energy, so long as he was defending the truth contained in his discoveries. His work, for that matter, controverted though it was, had long since passed beyond the limits of scientific circles, and in 1874 the National Assembly, wishing to pay homage to his rare merit, awarded him a national recompense, one which had been granted only twice before within the century, 
in 1839 to Daguerre and Nieps, and in 1845 to the engineer Vica. Paul Baer was appointed to make the report. In the course of it, he said, The discoveries of M. Pasteur, after having shed new light upon the obscure question of fermentations and of the mode in which microscopic organisms make their appearance, have revolutionized certain branches of business, industry, agriculture, and pathology. One is struck with admiration when one realizes that so many results and such widely different ones have all been derived through an unbroken chain of facts, followed up step by step, leaving nothing to conjecture from an original theoretical study as to the manner in which tartaric acid deflects polarized light. Never before has that famous epigram, Genius is Patience, received so splendid a confirmation. It is this admirable combination of theoretical and practical work which the government proposes that you should honor with a national recompense. Your committee unanimously approves this proposition. The recompense specified consists of a life pension of 12,000 francs. This sum represents very nearly the salary attached to the professorship in the Sorbonne, from which illness has obliged Monsieur Pasteur to resign. In this same report, Paul Baer paid tribute to the disinterestedness of Pasteur, whose discoveries had enriched France to the extent of unnumbered millions, without its having occurred to him to acquire any personal benefit from them. The motion was carried by 532 affirmative votes against 24 negative ones. It was an overwhelming majority. Having once turned his attention to infectious diseases, Pasteur assiduously frequented the Academy of Medicine. Becoming convinced that the majority of deaths were caused by wounds coming in contact with external germs, he recommended to the operating surgeons a method of antiseptic dressing based upon his discovery of microbes in the air. The great English surgeon Lister employed a similar method and obtained excellent results. The French physicians who accepted Pasteur's method saw the percentage of deaths resulting from operations fall off with great rapidity. It was not adopted without opposition, but its efficacy was soon recognized, and today there is no surgeon who does not follow out all of Pasteur's careful injunctions, the heating of the instruments, the sterilization of the dressings, antiseptic washing of the wound, etc. It was in 1876 that science escaped a real danger. Pasteur, yielding to the solicitations of a number of electors, presented himself as candidate at the election of senators from the Jura. He made his electoral campaign with the same seriousness that he displayed in his laboratory, proclaiming in his sign bills and circulars that his only reason for wishing to be elected was that he might have further opportunity to serve France. Monsieur Grévy presented himself in opposition at lons le saunier and Pasteur received only 62 votes. He cherished no grudge because of this defeat, but he declared that his incursion into the domain of politics had been a mistake, and he promptly returned to his studies. He had, for that matter, quite enough to do in defending his own scientific work, which had been newly attacked 
just as he began to believe that it had been definitely established. Bastien, for instance, despite the convincing nature of his experiments on spontaneous generation, disputed his results, and Pasteur, though he might well have rested on his earlier labors, repeated them, if possible, with even greater care, in order to be able to answer him. This experimental method, this close scrutiny of facts which formed the basis of all Pasteur's discoveries, this constant anxiety to leave nothing doubtful or unfinished, has lately been testified to by M. Denis Cochin, a member of the Académie Française and a deputy on the occasion of the discussion before the chamber in regard to powder for the navy. I have studied chemistry to some extent, he said, and I recall a remark once made to me by one of our most illustrious scientists. I had finished some small research, the report on which I submitted to Monsieur Pasteur. It began with a phrase that is common enough in manuals of chemistry, we know that. What do we know, Pasteur said to me? We know nothing at all. I replied, excuse me, monsieur, but the fact I cited was taken from one of your own writings. I thought I had the best of it, but Pasteur merely rejoined, that has nothing to do with it. You ought to have verified me. Therein lies Pasteur's whole secret. He always repeated his experiments over and over until he was certain of the truths that they contained, and it was by this means that he triumphed over his adversaries. His controversy with Bastien, together with a posthumous paper by Claude Bernard on fermentations, led him to investigate the fermentation of grapes. Having constructed a hot house on a small property that he owned near Arbois, Pasteur succeeded in demonstrating that the fermentation was due exclusively to germs which made their appearance on the surface of the grapes and on the bark of the vines at the moment of maturity, and that neither verjuice nor the must of the grape isolated from the skins and stems can undergo fermentation. But although he was still disputed, he had the keen pleasure of seeing certain of his methods eagerly adopted by the big industries. During a visit to a vast Italian silkworm establishment on the occasion of a congress of silk producers held at Milan, he beheld his own name inscribed across the pediment of the building in conspicuous homage to the services he had rendered to that industry. On this same occasion, they showed him the marvelous results obtained by his process of cellular culture, practically carried out by young girls who had acquired great expertness in the use of the microscope for detecting corpusculous moths. As in the case of the fermentation of grapes, this was a side issue of his theory of germs, but at this epoch he was studying them mainly from the pathological point of view, and we know that he was interested above all in the diseases of a microbic origin. There again, he was destined to wage stout battle against routine and prejudice, even within the walls of the Academy of Medicine. It was the disease of anthrax, which annually decimated the herds and flocks of France, that Pasteur chose as the first point of attack. Davain had previously discovered that the blood of animals infected with this disease 
contained little rectilinear stick-like organisms, a species of vibrion, which he named from their form Bacterides, and which were the cause of the disease. But he had been unable to defend his conclusions against Messieurs Gaillard and Leplat, professors at Val de Grasse and Paulbert, who all maintained, after making experiments, that anthrax came from a virus and not from the Bacterides themselves. It was precisely at this point in the discussion with the two sides steadfastly maintaining contradictory opinions, each supported equally by facts, that Pasteur, in collaboration with Messieurs Joubert, Chamberlain, and Roux, intervened in his accustomed manner, quite simple, quite clear, and rigorously scientific. Having obtained a fresh drop of blood from an animal infected with anthrax, Pasteur cultivated the bacterides in artificial mediums by impregnating each new medium with a drop taken from the preceding culture, so that by the time of the tenth culture he obtained pure bacterides. When these were used for inoculation, they produced anthrax. Without the aid of the original drop of blood, which had disappeared through being diluted to such a degree as to be imperceptible in the later cultures. This amounted to a complete confirmation of Devane's opinion that these bacterides were the cause of the disease of anthrax. In order to render his experiment more decisive, Pasteur established a counterproof by inoculating his medium with a culture from which he had eliminated the bacterides by means of filtering it through plaster, and the resulting liquid failed to produce anthrax. Pursuing his studies further, he demonstrated that Messieurs Gaillard and Leplat, who asserted that they had produced anthrax in animals by means of blood which contained no bacterides, had been mistaken, and that what they had really done was to produce a different disease by inoculating with a new species of microbe, which he named the septic vibrion. In like manner, he refuted Paul Baer, who, after having destroyed the bacteria of anthrax by means of compressed oxygen, claimed that the blood thus deprived of them could nevertheless cause anthrax. Pasteur showed that this blood still contained the germs or spores of bacterides, which had greater resistant powers than the bacterides themselves, and that it was from them that these cases of anthrax came, so that in any case it was caused either by the bacterides or by their spores. This amounted to a definite proof of the parasitic character of this infectious disease. But how was anthrax communicated to animals, and was there any hope of protecting them from it? Again, as in the case of the silkworms, the Minister of Agriculture commissioned Pasteur to make a study of this evil, which ravaged the cattle-raising districts, causing losses which amounted annually to tens of millions. Nothing was known beyond the fact that the animals who were pastured in certain fields that were known as bad fields became infected with anthrax. Pasteur installed himself in the environs of Chartres and began his researches. He was accompanied by Monsieur Roux, who bears witness to the perspicacity of his observations conducted on the spot. The harvest had been gathered, he wrote, and nothing remained but the stubble. 
Pasteur's attention was drawn to a certain portion of the field because of the different coloring of the earth. The owner explained that this was the spot where they had buried the sheep who had died of anthrax the preceding year. Pasteur, who always examined things closely, noticed on the surface of the soil a multitude of little lumps of earth thrown up by earthworms. The idea then occurred to him that in their continuous journeyings from the lower depths to the surface, the worms carried above ground some of the soil rich in the humus that surrounded the dead bodies, and along with it some of the spores of anthrax which it contained. But Pasteur never stopped short at conjectures. He immediately passed on to experiments. These justified his expectations. The earth contained in one of the worms, when used to inoculate guinea pigs, produced anthrax in them. Roux, L'Oeuvre Médicale de Pasteur, Agenda du Chimiste, 1896. Pasteur had studied first the active cause of the disease and next its mode of propagation, and found that the spores penetrated into the organism of the animals, sheep or cattle, through the mucous membranes of their mouths, where they were torn by the dry and prickly grass. How were the flocks and herds to be preserved? It was through his study of chicken cholera, carried on simultaneously with that of anthrax, that he was set upon the right path. He had noticed that the cholera microbes, at this time the word microbe as a generic term for vibrions, bacterides, etc., had just been coined by Sedio, a surgeon at Strasbourg, approved by Littre and generally adopted by scientists. If left exposed to the air and then used for a new culture, lost their virulence to the point of becoming actually harmless. This attenuation was due to the oxygen in the air. This discovery was destined to revolutionize the science of medicine and to lead Pasteur to the employment of vaccines, which he obtained after several years of extremely delicate experiments. It was on the 28th of February, 1881, that Pasteur made his communication to the Academy of Sciences regarding the vaccine of anthrax. It was received by some with enthusiasm and by others with mistrust. Pasteur himself was certain of the effects of his discovery. Healthy animals inoculated with the attenuated virus would surely be rendered immune to anthrax. He consented to make a test on a large scale, and this test justly remained celebrated. It began on the 5th of May, 1881, on a farm near Pouilly-le-Fort, near Melon, under the auspices of the Society of Agriculture of that town. The conditions imposed were most rigorous, but Pasteur was confident of victory. Fifty sheep and ten cows were turned over to him. Of the former lot, twenty-five were to be vaccinated with an attenuated virus and then to receive, together with the other twenty-five, which had not been vaccinated, an inoculation of extremely virulent anthrax microbes, while for the second lot, the experiment was to be tried upon six vaccinated animals and four not vaccinated. Pasteur asserted that all those which had been vaccinated would resist the disease of anthrax, while those which had not been vaccinated would all die. This claim 
had the audacity of genius, and throughout the duration of the experiments the illustrious scientists underwent alterations of joyous hope and feverish anxiety. But on the 2nd of June, the day fixed by Pasteur for judging the results, after the inoculation with virulent bacterides, which took place on May 31st, it proved to be a triumphant occasion for him on the farm at Puy-le-Fort. The prefect of Seine-et-Marne, several deputies and senators, veterinaries and journalists were present, all quivering with impatience, and Pasteur's predictions were realized in every particular amid the congratulations of an enthusiastic throng. Every one of the animals which had been inoculated but not vaccinated had contracted anthrax and died, while all the animals that had been both inoculated and vaccinated escaped all symptoms of illness. On the 13th of June, Pasteur communicated to the Academy of Sciences the result of his experiments at Puy-le-Fort, which was henceforth to be known as the Pasteur Farm. In view of their success, which had made an enormous sensation, he was able to say, We now possess virus vaccines against anthrax, capable of warding off the deadly disease without ever proving fatal themselves, living vaccines that may be cultivated at will and transported anywhere without suffering harm, vaccines, in short, that are prepared by a method which we have reason to believe is susceptible of being generalized, because it has once already been put into practice for the purpose of obtaining vaccine against chicken cholera. Because of the character of the conditions which I have here enumerated, and looking at the question only from the scientific point of view, I may say that the discovery of vaccine for anthrax constitutes a perceptible progress in advance of Jenner's vaccine, because the latter was not obtained as a result of experiments. Pasteur no longer met with the same obstacles that had confronted his method for the culture of silkworms. His vaccines for anthrax were in demand in every cattle-raising district of France. Within one year after the above-mentioned experiments, the number of animals vaccinated had risen to 613,740 sheep and 83,946 cattle. But before this triumph, which had even been questioned in certain circles, he had to answer numerous criticisms at the Academy of Medicine, where too many of the dear masters refused to recognize him as anything more than a chemist. He was forced to fight on behalf of his germ theory against the adherents of the old school who refused to accept not only the novelty of the theory, but even the very existence of germs. He was forced to defend his experiments when they were called in question, and one day he actually brought some chickens into a meeting at the Academy of Medicine in order to convince Collin that he could infect them with anthrax. Pasteur was an energetic adversary and sometimes a violent one, if anyone affected not to understand him, and he defended what he believed to be the truth with crude and caustic eloquence. It very nearly led him into a duel with Jules Guérin in October of 1881 because of his rather rough treatment of him on the subject of smallpox. This whole epoch of Pasteur's life extending from 1877 to 1882 was extremely prolific. 
he was possessed by what amounted to a fever for work, and his ideas radiated in all directions. His laboratory was a veritable hive. Together with his anthrax vaccine, he found that of chicken cholera, and his pupil, Tuilier, discovered the microbe of Rouget in swine. But in the midst of all his polemics and his diverse other duties, Pasteur's chief preoccupation was that of human diseases. He turned his attention to puerperal fever, and having demonstrated that it was due to a microbe, he outlined for doctors a whole series of measures of precaution and cleanliness that were destined to save many a mother. He collected notes on the plague, he made a study of boils, he haunted the hospitals in company of his students, notwithstanding his sensitiveness and physical repugnance. The sight of corpses, the sad necessity of autopsies, caused him actual repulsion, writes M. Roux. How many times we have seen him hastily leave the amphitheater of the hospitals because he was actually ill. But his love of science, his curiosity to know the truth were even stronger, he always came back on the morrow. After having conquered himself in order to bring to humanity effective remedies against infectious diseases, Pasteur was destined to conquer the doctors themselves, bound though they were to the old formulas, the antiquated conceptions, and who could not, without some vexation and alarm, behold the overthrow of their tranquility and peaceful routine. But the excitement aroused by the discovery of anthrax vaccine which opened such great hopes for the future, was confirmed by the learned societies and the ruling powers. The Society of the Agriculturalists of France awarded Pasteur on the 21st of February, 1881, a Medal of Honor, and the government bestowed upon him the Grand Cordon of the Legion of Honor. In this connection we meet with a typical manifestation of Pasteur's character. He sent word that he would not accept this elevation to a higher rank unless his two collaborators, Chamberlain and Roux, were each to receive the red ribbon. End of section nine.